Pardon me. Welcome. Well, I came to share the truth with you this evening. Excited? Open your Bibles up, if you brought them, or the Pew Bible, to uh, the book of John, chapter 2. And I would like to share with you uh, John, chapter 2, the first 11 verses of that chapter. And we have been studying uh, the book of John for quite some time now, and uh, really have been uh, finding uh, some wonderful, uh, wonderful truth uh, that's been changing lives. And I trust that God's going to do the same thing this evening uh, in this setting, and so we're excited about this. Uh, I want to open up in prayer after I read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is how it reads. Uh, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into the wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This... The first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Father in heaven, we love you this evening. We've chosen to be in your house to learn from your word. Father, I trust that you are in charge. I trust that you are speaking to my heart. I know that when you look uh, in this place this evening, you do not see teenager You do not see pastor. uh, You do not see adult uh, evangelist. You see child of God. And you are desperately wanting to uh, grow us. You are desperately wanting to stretch us. Father, you have have drawn us to this place this evening that we might grow closer to you. We might grow in the likeness of you. And Father, I pray that you might be able to bring clarity to the word that I could never bring and that you might be able to impact us and change us in a way that only you can. We trust you and love you, knowing you're present, giving you our ear and attention, asking that you would limit, uh, el- limit and eliminate all distractions in this place. We trust you and call upon your name, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, in studying uh, the Gospel of John, you all know that I've been studying the John, uh, Gospel of John for a while. We've been finding uh, kind of like an overarching theme that the author just, he won't get away from. He's after one thing. He's trying to tell you, he's trying to tell you, trying to tell you one thing. Uh, and he really doesn't, he, everything else he says in the book kind of, kind of just surrounds this. 
complements this, but there's really only one message for John, and you see it really uh, everywhere. And uh, so I want to read a few of these verses for you, and you can even kind of chase after me as we do so. Uh, In the very first opening chapter of John, uh, the Gospel according to John, the first 18 verses is kind of given over to this, what we call kind of a prologue, but it's really like an introduction to the book, and he introduces uh, his Gospel with this introduction, explaining everything that he's going to talk about uh, in the remainder of his book. And so he, he hits all the major themes. He hits exactly everything that he wants to talk about right here in these verses. He just expounds on them later. And I really find it interesting the way he pictures or presents Jesus to us. Teenager, you've got to hear me on this. You've got to hear me on this. Um, the way you see Jesus presented in this book is the way that God wants to see you. That somehow, in the life that Jesus lived, you see the life that you are called to live. And this is called for every, each and every one of us. Uh, I don't believe that there are levels of Christianity, that there are levels of walk. No, don't believe that. I don't believe that my walk is to be more intense or more particular or special than your walk. You see, we are all called to the same thing. And that is the walk that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us. We know this. The Word tells us this. In fact, uh, Jesus was born, and this always confuses everybody, and I don't know why, it seems really simple, that, God, uh, that, that Jesus was born as a man, which means He was born just as I was. He had the same bodily drives that I had. Uh, he had to shave like I did. Of course, I'm not shaving like He didn't. I'm trying to grow a beard like He did. Anyway, and uh, he, uh, he stubbed his toe, he got uh, dirt under his fingernails, he got colds, I bet. Uh, he, all the things that we, we fall into, he fell into. The only difference with Jesus is that he was not born in sin, which means that he was not born in broken relationship with God. He was born in perfect intimacy with God. In fact, he was born of God. And the same spirit, the same thing that was going on inside of God was going on inside of Jesus. That Jesus was somehow both man and God. Now what this means is, is that Jesus as a man was a demonstration of who we are to be. He's a demonstration of how we are to be. The way that Jesus walked is the way that we walked. That Jesus did not walk a life that you are not called to walk. In fact, the life that Jesus lived is the life you're called to live. Do you believe that? 1 John 2, 6 says, Anyone, anyone who claims to abide in Him. Uh, I like one of the way the uh, Living Translations puts it. Anyone who claims to be a Christian must walk just as Jesus walked. Because He lived the life that we're called to live. He was the demonstration of how we are to live. But also, but the big deal about being this demonstration of how we are to live, Jesus, being a human being, was a demonstration of God. Which tells us that we as human beings are to be demonstrations of God. You see, and this is profound for some of you teenagers, you are the only Jesus that people in your school will ever see. Some of the teens that you meet and, and live with and work with and, and, hey, study social studies and fine arts in your high school, they are never going to make it into a church, as well as some of the people we work with in our daily lives. They're never going to make it into it. They're never going to sit in a service like this. And you are the only Jesus that they're ever going to see. You are the demonstration of God to them, which really teaches us some neat things about ourselves. What do I mean by that? We being the demonstration of God teaches us about God. Uh, For instance, from watching Christians, I see what God is like. I didn't know this, but God gossips. Did you know that? I never would have believed it. And uh, he's competitive. If he doesn't get his way, he gets mad. Pastor, have you seen this? We've seen this, haven't we? We've seen God like this. He's not answering. He's smart. We've seen this. 
We are to be the demonstration of who God is. And this is all throughout this book. In fact, Jesus, in these first 18 verses, is called the Word of God. In other words, if God were to speak, what would it look like? Jesus. Because God had anything, you, any way, uh, anything Jesus was involved in, anything that was on his mind, any way he acted, came right back to what God, was, what was God was involved with, what was on God's mind. If Jesus said something, you know that it came from God's mouth because he was the demonstration of, uh, of God to us. And it's all the way throughout the book. Let me share some of them with you because I know you're just so excited about this. John chapter 7 is a perfect example of this. You come into John chapter 7, and actually, it's, 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 it's presented to us before this in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus begins to get in some arguments uh, with some Pharisees. And in John chapter 5, verse 16, this is the first time you see this in the, in the, in the Gospel of John, if you're ever going to study this book. Um, Jesus uh, is, is confronted by some Pharisees. Here, here's what's going on. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And this is what Jesus says about the things he was doing. And verse 17, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work, and to this very day I too am working. And then you come down to verse 19, and it says, Jesus gave them this answer because they were saying, hey, you have no right to call yourself God. Uh, And he says, I tell you the truth. The Son, who is Jesus, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And which is really neat because he looks at the Pharisees and he says, let me tell you something. Everything that's going on in my life is not a product of my own brain. It's not a product of what I want to do. It's a product of what my Father in Heaven is doing. And why I'm working on the Sabbath, it's because my Father in Heaven is working on the Sabbath. And this is what he tells them. That, hey, I'm not acting on my own. Hey, I'm acting in response to God who's living inside of me. Um, They argue with him again a couple chapters later in chapter 17. What happens in chapter 17, verse 14, you see Jesus shows up to this feast. Now, Jesus grew up uh, under what occupation? Anybody? He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. We like carpenters. And Jesus was a carpenter. He was not a theologian. He was not a scribe. He didn't grow up around the temple uh, reading all the books, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But nonetheless, as a carpenter, as a carpenter, Jesus shows up at this feast and he begins to teach. This is what happens. Verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? They're saying among themselves, this guy's a carpenter. How did this guy get such learning without never having... How how, how is this possible? And Jesus turns and addresses this. And he says, verse 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. He says, this ain't mine. This ain't my teaching. It's his. You understand, my smarts are not my own. I didn't work this up. It's his. So he even, he even gave his own teaching. Everything that's going on in his life was a product of what God was doing. All of his teaching was not his own knowledge. was not his own. It was his father's. And there's tons of these. And I know you want them all, but I can't give them to you this evening. But I'll give you one more. And you can turn there with me. Uh, and it's, you could read this for yourself all the way through. But you come down to John chapter 14. And this was, as, as, as Jeremiah Bullock, as just a, a grown-up guy, uh, halfway grown-up, um, I really like this passage in Jesus. Because I've always looked at the miracles of Jesus and said, I could never do that. I mean, he walked on water, which is something I can't do. He raised the dead. Never done that before. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he healed the sick. 
change water into wine. Can't do that. I'm a Nazarene. And there's all kinds of things that Jesus did that I could never ever do. I mean, so chapter 14 is really interesting to me because what happens is, is Jesus goes on this big tangent. Preachers do that. And Philip says in verse 8, look at chapter 14, verse 8. And Philip says, Lord, listen, show us the Father. Just show him to us. You've been talking about this the whole time, this whole you and the Father are one business. He says, show us the Father. He'll be good enough for us. And listen to what Jesus says. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you know or don't you believe? Uh, or he goes, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is living in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least listen to what He says. He says, listen to this. He goes, believe when I tell you that the Father is in me and doing His work. And if you don't believe on what I'm saying, He says, believe on the evidence of what you're seeing. I can't do this stuff. Jesus lived with these guys for three years. He lived with them. He snored. He got up late, stubbed his toe, he got sick. He was a human being. Got the sniffles, had to get haircuts, all that kind of stuff, just like we are. He looks to them and says, then tell me, if I'm 100% man, how in the world could I be doing the stuff that I'm doing? The only explanation for it was God. That was it, God. Jesus was just like you and I. And he proved it because one day they nailed him to a cross, and as any human would, he died. So Jesus was not superhuman being. He was the demonstration of God. Everything going on in this life was a product of what God was doing. Wow, isn't that powerful? Which is what you've been called to do. Now, why I've made such a big deal about that is because that's the whole, that is the whole story that John wants to get across to you. Teenagers, you've got to hear me on this. Uh, there's no loopholes in this. Uh, Jesus, he's less concerned, and, it's, and, and see, I get confused on this sometimes. He's less concerned about... Well, he's not less concerned. But you see, we put priorities on things Jesus doesn't put priorities on. We put priorities on going to church. We put priorities on uh, uh, you know, uh, wearing, uh, uh, of course, no earrings and uh, no pink hair or purple hair. That's you. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, saying the right things, going to Sunday school. We put priorities on those types of things and we do the right things, therefore we're Christians. But see, what you, we don't understand, we miss sometimes, is you could be doing all the right things and... Not be a Christian. Does showing up to church every single Sunday make you a Christian? No. Does paying your tithe make you a Christian? Makes me like you, but no, it doesn't make you a Christian. Does reading your Bible every day make you a Christian? No. What makes you a Christian? Him living down inside of you. So, which tells us we are called to be the demonstration of God just as Jesus was. Now, I want to talk to you about this story uh, with this wedding scene in the next 15 minutes or so. It's a really neat story. You know the scene. Jesus, he's invited to this wedding. And we'll talk about this more tomorrow night. Weddings are really big deals. But Jesus was invited to this wedding, him and all of his disciples. He had disciples. And his mom was invited as well. And, of course, we know the story uh, about the wine and such. But there's, very, very, there's a very important thing that most people miss when coming into this story. And it's in the very first sentence. And this is what it says. On the third day. Now, that doesn't sound too you know, hysterically interesting, does it? But it is very interesting, trust me. Because um, 
what John has been doing is he's been building. Uh, And what do I mean by this? If you go back to verse 19 of John chapter 1, what you find is this is the very beginning of his story. Verses uh, verses 1 through 18 were what we called that the prologue. That's right. Which was the introduction. That's right. And it talks about all the book, everything he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. You're right on it. That's what he's talking about. But you come into verse 19 and he ends with the introduction and he begins the story. He begins the story that he's telling. And in, in the first whole chapter, uh, starting at verse 19, is given over to the first week of Jesus' ministry. The very first day is verse 19 where John is out testifying about Jesus and you have these Pharisees that show up and they interrogate him. But you come down to verse 29 and look what it says. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. So it it gives you a picture that one day some things happen, then the next day which is movement, it's it's a progression. The very next day, something else happened. Jesus walks by, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Wow, hey, would have known, and all this stuff goes on. He witnesses about him. Then you come down to verse 35, and what does it begin with? The next day, which means he's talking about the first week. He's, He's moving in progression. Hey, the first day this happened, the next day, then the next day, John saw Jesus again. Uh, two disciples start following him, and we have the calling of Andrew and John and Peter. Then you come down to verse 43, and what does it say? The next day. So it's this movement or progression going on. Now you come down to chapter 2, and it says, on the third day, which means the progression stops, and it's right here what he wants to talk about. Now, in this day and age, what this is called, this is kind of like almost in, in our terms, a joke. This is the punchline of everything that he said thus far. And he's been giving us these really interesting pictures of who Jesus is. And they're all summed up on the third day. Um, Jesus is the demonstration of God. And as the demonstration of God, Jesus takes on what we kind of call titles. You know what titles are, don't you? Uh, I've got titles. Uh, Your pastor has titles. Uh, This guy over here has titles. One of his titles, don't even know him, never seen him before. Uh, But I guarantee you, one of his titles are Dad. Dad. And they give you some insight into who he is. Being a dad means that he has... You should have learned this by now, way back in like first grade. (laughs) He has children. That's one of his titles. And so by one of these titles, you know you have some insight into who he is. You say, Dad, ah, he has children. If I tell you one of my titles is a husband, you know that I have... (laughs) You are sharp. I have a wife. One of my titles gets inside into who I am. I have other titles. I'm an evangelist. I'm a brother. Uh, I'm a son. At one time I was a student. I still am a student. These are titles which gives you insights. You're a teenager. That's That's a title. Uh, these are insights into who you are. It gives you kind of insight into who this person is. We have titles as doctors, carpenter, lawyer, senior pastor, youth pastor, that's that, that type of thing. Those are all titles, okay? Jesus, now look, I'm going to tell you something, teenagers, which you're really going to enjoy. There is no other greater portrait of Jesus given in the entire Bible than right here. Because in these 51 verses, first 51 verses of uh, the chapter of John, first chapter of John, there are 15 titles given to explain who Jesus is as the demonstration of God. And that doesn't happen anywhere else in Scripture. I mean, they, hey, they talk about Jesus in a lot of different ways, but never this many 
in 51 verses. And I want to, I want to walk through uh, some of these with you. And just, well, I'll give you all 15 really quickly. Uh, in verse 1, Jesus is called God. I scared him off already. Come back. Uh, in verse 1, Jesus is called God. In verse 9, He's called the true light. In verse 14, He's called the Word. In verse, uh, in verse 14 as well, He's called the one and only. Uh, in verse 20, He's called the Christ. In verse 21, He's called the prophet. In verse 29, He's called the Lamb of God. Uh, in verse 34, He's called the Son of God. In verse 38, He's called Rabbi. Uh, actually, I think, yeah, 38 is called Rabbi. Um, in verse 41, he's called Messiah. In verse, uh, and he goes on, he's called, uh, he's called uh, the one in whom the prophets wrote, uh, the one in whom uh, Moses wrote about. He's called the son of Joseph. He's called king of Israel. He's called son of man. Fifteen titles, and you can look for them as yourself. But he's, he's given fifteen titles. Hear this now. He's given fifteen titles to explain in depth who Jesus is. I mean, these are phenomenal titles. He's called the Messiah, which is this long-awaited soul hope of Israel. He's the one who's going to come in and usher in this whole new kingdom of God, in whom the Messiah will be the king, which he also calls Jesus the king of Israel. He's the king. He's called the son of man, which means he's just human being like us. He's called the son of God, which means he's God. He's called all, Lamb of God. He's called all, giving you all these 15 different titles. But he builds all the way through John chapter 1. And when you come into John chapter 2, what he does, and I really want to get your attention with this, what he does is, is he takes all of these 15 titles and he shows you them all at work at one time in, the, in an ordinary, average, everyday setting of Jesus' life. For instance, I've got a bunch of titles in my life. But you pick any ordinary, average, everyday setting in my life and you will see all of these titles, all of these titles come to pass. And I'm the demonstration of God in all of these titles. For instance, I am a husband. You watch me you watch me in ordinary, average, everyday setting of my life and you're going to see Jeremiah as a husband in the ordinary, average, everyday circumstances of, your, uh, of my life. You're going to see me as a student. You're going to see me as an evangelist when I'm down there pumping gas, spilling diesel fuel all over me. You're going to see that. You're going to see me as a son. You're going to see me as all of these different titles. You're going to see me as a Christian. You're going to see me as a man, as a human being. These are the titles. And, and what he does is he takes all of these titles and he crams them all together and he shows you what they look like in just an ordinary setting, just an everyday setting of his life. And it happens to be in a wedding. And all of these titles, you see one common thing. He balls them all up and he says all these titles amount to one thing in Jesus' life. And this really, really excited me and really challenged me. You have Jesus. He shows up to this wedding. He's got his disciples with him. Hey, mom's there. And he's sitting in the background. He's probably shy, like me. And he's sitting in the background, and everybody's been partying for a week or so. And uh, there's all kinds of people there. He's grown up. Jesus grew up in Galilee. And so, he, I mean, hey, uh, or Nazareth, which is, you know, I think that's under the area of Galilee. Probably should have studied that. But anyway, I think he grew up in Galilee. But he probably knows some of the people here. And uh, so he, he sees some friends over there. He waves to them. And hey, a guy he grew up with over there sees his brother. Hey, how you doing? Hey, mom. Waves. And his disciples, and they're all kind of hanging around. Mom's got this worried look about her. And she comes up to him, and she's got all these servants. She's gathered around. She's picked these servants and, and ushered them all together. And she's rushed up to Jesus. She's got this worried look on her face. It's kind of a hush-hush talk. And she says, Jesus, there's a problem. Jesus says, what? 
they're out of wine. They're out of wine. Quick, you need to do something. She's got all these servants. And Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, wait, my time, my time has not yet come. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow night. But the whole idea of time, of my time for acting, my time for acting has not yet, hey, my time for being revealed has not yet come. Hey, it hasn't come. Hey, my time has not yet come, is what he says to her. But she turns around to the servants and she says, I understand that. Hey, do whatever he says. You know what I expected Jesus to do? I expected him to roll up his sleeves, maybe show his tattoo, maybe not, and roll up his other sleeve, kind of pull up his britches. Maybe, you know, the, you know, the, you ever see preachers do this? Go, <sighs> stick around long enough, you will. And uh, I expected him to say, okay, everybody stand back, Messiah's here, Christ's here, King of Israel's here, watch this, and have him wham and take care of the situation, maybe order some people, maybe uh, do something. Draw it, he's the King of Israel. I've waited for this to happen. And it doesn't. Jesus kind of steps back in the shadows going, hey, don't come to me. Don't point me out in front of everybody. And, he, and mom walks away and these servants are standing there waiting for his order. And what, the, what he says to the servants is, okay, here, see those six stone jars? Now, the servants are needing more wine. So they're probably all carrying these empty wine jugs. Empty wine jugs, probably. Hey, they're going to they're gonna need to fill up wine. But Jesus doesn't have them use the wine jugs. Doesn't even draw attention. He doesn't even draw attention. He doesn't even want to be associated with creating more wine. Doesn't want to. He just says, hey, see these right here? Put those things down. Go fill these things up with water. There's the ceremonial washing. They're not even used for wine. So they drag them out. They think he's talking about something else. And they drag these things out there or that they bring buckets and they fill these things to the brim. And when they finally get them filled to the brim, they're wiping their foreheads because it's hard work. And they look at Jesus and he says, listen, take some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And one of the servants goes, grabs a ladle, scoops some of the water out that has been turned into wine, takes it to the master of the banquet and hands it to him. The master of the banquet goes, thank you, and drinks it and goes, wow. Then he shakes his head and goes, I tell you, that bridegroom. And he walks over, grabs that bridegroom, uh, the bridegroom by the ear, pulls him aside and goes, listen, you've got a lot to learn. First of all, you don't serve the best wine last. You serve it first. Hello? You've turned, you saved the best, everybody's drunk. Come on, you know how this works. And you see this phenomenal miracle that has just taken place and the water has been turned into wine and you know what? No one knows Jesus did it. you got this master of the banquet who comes over and he yells at the bridegroom and he's going, he doesn't know what happened. I thought we were out of wine. What must have happened? And Jesus doesn't use any, he doesn't draw any attention to himself. He kind of sinks in the background and he meets the needs of the people. He meets the needs of the people draws no attention to himself. And you see all of these titles, hear this now, you see all of these titles summed up into one overarching main title, and it's Jesus the servant, which totally challenged me. I never saw Jesus this way. Jesus the king. I I picture Jesus coming in. We've read stuff like this in Revelation. He comes in on this horse with whips in his hands. He's flexing his muscle. He's enforcing but he doesn't do that. In fact, I begin to search the Gospels about this, and you know what I begin to find? Every time Jesus did a miracle, do you know what he said? Don't tell anybody. He always said this stuff. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just go back, go back. Don't tell anybody. You had people coming up to him, falling on their knees, and saying, you healed my daughter. Pray. He goes, get up. 
You have another guy coming up going, good teacher. He says, don't call me good. There's only one who's good. And he does not attribute anything to... He attributes everything to God. He says, I'm the demonstration. And the demonstration of God in every title of my life is servanthood. What does God look like? See, I've always got these pictures of God as this mean God who's up there. You see him on the billboard signs. I read one today. You keep using my name in vain, and I'll make the traffic jam longer. So you, have you read that one? That's so stupid, isn't it? And I think, that's not my God. He's not this mean bully going... He's the God saying, how can I meet your need? Because he's demonstrated in Jesus. And Jesus' whole life was filled with this. In fact, do you know what Jesus is doing today? Even after his death, you know what he's doing? He's standing at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. His entire existence is wrapped up in, how can I meet your need? How can I serve you? And Jesus was the demonstration of God. You know what that tells me? If I don't look like a servant, who am I demonstrating? Because the demonstration of God always looks like servanthood. This is not a foreign idea. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. Did you know Jesus was always yelling at his disciples? You guys know this. He, they would be always arguing over the best seats, for instance, at the, uh, the feeding of, uh, or the feeding, the, um, well, it was a feeding, but the Last Supper scene. All the disciples rush in, and what do they do? They race for the best seats. How you doing, man? Come on in. They race for the best seats, don't they? What positions does Jesus take? The position of a servant. He wraps a towel around his waist, grabs a bowl of water, begins to kneel and wash their feet. And they're thinking, what in the world is going on? And Jesus looks and they're arguing. They're arguing of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And listen to what Jesus says. When he, uh, when he heard them arguing, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over one another, and their higher officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Listen to me on this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, you know the word, servant. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as, Jesus says, points to himself, me, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom. And Paul talks about this. And I'll give you one more since you got so excited about that one. In Philippians, uh, in the book of Philippians, Paul boldly writes to the Philippian church about this issue that they're, they're facing. And he says, your attitude, hear this now. Big part, big part in the message. Hear this now. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Which, do you know what that tells me? You cannot define Jesus' life, teenager, by things he did. Okay, okay, you've been talking to pastor again, haven't you? Okay, okay, I understand. You want us to do servant things. <laughs> no. You can do servant things and never be a servant. Because Jesus' life was not about things he did it was his nature. It was his nature. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality God was something to be grasped, but taking the very nature, 
You know what that word nature means? We got a word like that. The original language, it's caricature, which we get the word character. It's character. It's, it's bigger, you guys, than just, okay, okay, help mom around the house. Okay, I got you. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> it's not about that kind of stuff. Okay, I know what you're saying. Help out. Pastor wants people to help. Okay, I've been hearing him beg about that forever. I'll start doing that. No, it's not about that kind of stuff. Okay, I know what you're saying. No, it's not about that kind of stuff. It's nature stuff. Did you know that God has destined you, God has created you, that you can have one need, and that's to meet the needs of others? Period. This, this, you see, this for me, this has transformed me in the last couple weeks. Because, I don't know how open I can be with you, but you see, he's changed my thinking. Because I don't see like a servant. Do you know what I see? I see objects. I see in a service like this, potential tithers. Yes, I do. Hello. Hi. How are you? Ooh, nice ring. Uh, I see my wife as an object. Someone who, who meets my needs. Someone who, who uh, if she's not there, who's going to do the, some, you know, in the house. And who's going to take... And you see, that's not right. That's not him. Because the way that Jesus sees is a servanthood seeing. How self-centered are you tonight? And I'm not, I'm not hey, I'm not, I'm not jumping on your neck. I'm not, I'm not beating down on you. But you see, this convicts me, you guys. Because Jesus is calling... You see, if I'm ever to say, I'm the demonstration of Jesus Christ in my world, and yet I don't look like a servant, my goodness, something's wrong. And, I, and I'm, I've missed this. Because I go to church, and we have these big potlucks where everybody goes by and after the service and, and, and eats, their, you know, eats these massive amounts of food. And do you know who they always have, have go first? Our special speaker's here. Come on, get up here and eat first. Oh, thank you. When actually, we should have, maybe we'll do this this week, that maybe we should say, okay, who's the guest this week? Who, do, who here doesn't know Jesus? Get up here. And all of those left over are the ones who take the last positions because they're the ones who are serving. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to talk about this idea of servanthood tomorrow night as well because there's so much in this passage. But you see all of the glamorous titles of G- in Jesus' life explained by one thing, and it's servanthood. God rules His kingdom through serving, through meeting our needs. I wonder if you'd begin to pray tonight as a teenager. Don't wait till you're old, like, you know, youth pastor and pastor. I mean, start now and say, hey, Lord Jesus, would you create, and I'm not kidding about this, would you begin to pray Lord Jesus, would you make me into a servant? You see, the same Spirit that lived in Jesus and conformed Him, well, the same Spirit that lived in Jesus lives in you and wants to conform you to His likeness. He wants to make you into a servant. You see, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is not those on the best on the teen quizzing. And then we need good teen quizzers. But see, that's not the issue. The issue is an inside seeing. How do you see your girlfriend? How do you see your boyfriend? Through the eyes of what can I get from them or through the eyes of how can I meet your need? Lord Jesus, we love You this evening. Father, we worship You through Your Son. 
I thank You for this passage. Because I am so slow and self-centered. I get so easily distracted through religious things like preaching. I get so easily distracted by works. Works that everyone else sees. Jesus, I want You to move in this land, but I want everybody else to know that I was the one You moved through. That isn't You. I want you, to, I, want you to, I want you to win the world for yourself. But wouldn't it be great if everybody knew that I was the one that you won the world through? That's not you, Jesus. That's not you. Father, that's not who you are. You want no glory for yourself. The Pharisees, the hypocrites do. Father, would you conform me to the likeness of your word this evening? Would you not let us escape this truth that, may we, be, that we may begin to look at our world through the eyes of servanthood, through the eyes of meeting the need, through the eyes of you rather than me. When we look on the beggar on the street, may we see them versus ourselves. May we not stand up for our own rights, but lose our rights in serving others. We love you with all our heart tonight, Father. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Appreciate your attention this evening. Uh, I want you to come back and I want you to go home. That's two commands. Come back. Go home. And I want you to read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to see what I left out. Because uh, what I want to talk to you about tomorrow night is this whole f- deal of servanthood. Because it leads me away going, wow, okay, I want to serve tomorrow at school. Uh, there's no school tomorrow. But I want to serve tomorrow. And uh, I want to serve, I want to serve, I want to serve. But how does that take place? Because what I've found is that oftentimes I've tried to serve where God didn't want me to serve. So we're going to talk about that idea of servanthood. So you're not going to want to miss it, right? Right. right. Shake your head, Jess. Okay, praise God. You're dismissed. I think. Are they dismissed? Okay.